This is Daniel Figel, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It's Thursday, so this is our Making the Business Case episode for the week. As you're well aware, on Tuesday, we cover use cases. On Thursday, we talk about the ROI of AI, AI adoption, and sort of higher-level issues around bringing AI to bear in the enterprise. What does it take to really make the business case for AI in an enterprise context? And today, we're talking about risk, not particular financial risks, not using AI to reduce one kind of risk or another, but actually the overall risk of potentially getting machine learning wrong. For small and mid-sized companies, beginning with AI might be a little bit of a different process than for large enterprises. Machine learning is data hungry. It often requires significant R&D budget, significant in-house talent. And for firms that don't have unlimited cash in their coffers, who aren't in the, let's say, Fortune 100, even Fortune 500, making a first step with machine learning is fraught with potentially more risks than the big guys. Our guest this week is Ivan Marin. He is the principal data scientist at the Dayton Group, D-A-I-T-A-N. He's also a PhD in physics from Sao Paulo University. He's held previous positions at Phillips and Cargill and was also a professor of data science. Um, And he speaks with us this week about some of his experience working with small and mid-sized businesses and helping them navigate the unique set of risks that they face when they start off with machine learning. He also walks us through a bit of an exercise with the machine learning canvas. We're going to be following up this episode with some email content. This episode is brought to you by the Dayton Group. This is sponsored by Dayton. So thanks to them for being able to bring this episode directly to you. If you're interested in bringing your guests onto the show and you want to understand what our criteria are for filtering guests and kind of who we allow on here in terms of sponsored episodes, you can learn more uh, about our creative services, which does include podcasts in addition to email and the rest of the services we offer here at Emerge at emerj.com slash ad1. That's ad like advertise emerj.com slash ad1 and you can submit an inquiry there to receive our media kit and learn more about what we do. Without further ado, we're going to fly into this fast-paced episode with Yvonne Marin about the risks of artificial intelligence adoption and some smarter ways to think about adoption for small and mid-sized businesses. Let's hop right in. So Yvonne, I know we're going to be talking today on the the topic of risk, and I want to start off by just teeing up that theme itself. You know, from your perspective, why is it that risk is something that small or mid-sized enterprises need to think about when it comes to their AI initiatives? Why should this be on their radar? Well, Dan, the thing is, risk for AI projects is not only for these small business or mid-sized enterprises, right? AI projects are usually a little bit more risky than the standard or the more common software engineering projects that we have. But the issue is, this kind of risk can lean heavily with your uh, small or mid-sized enterprise because usually uh, you don't have, for example, deep pockets or you don't have a lot of expertise on board. To, to be able to hold out on understand how we're going to move forward with the AI project. So there are many pitfalls that you can follow through when you're doing an AI project that involves machine learning, a lot of data science, right? You can, for example, maybe you don't have the, enough data or you don't have good data to use it. Maybe uh, you don't have the skilled professionals already on board, or maybe you're having a trouble to try to define the goals that you want to do with machine learning. So having these risks and not knowing that we're going to see these risks beforehand, it can handicap you of not having a way to success if you're doing a project like this, specifically if you're on a mid-size or a small-size enterprise. Uh, As I said before, cost can be a factor. 
right? Yeah. AI projects can be expensive, both because of the skilled data set and data scientists, data engineers, even BI analysts are in high demand, so that raises salary, uh, the cost, but also because the acquiring data, getting the data in, can be also a problem, can be costly. Having this data organized uh, can be a problem. Uh, so even the platform itself, uh, I know now you can use cloud vendors to try to leverage their tools to yep. do things a little bit faster, right? But they're also expensive when you go to machine learning and depending on the scale that you have to go, this also can get expensive pretty fast. So yeah, yeah. This, this is the kind of the risks that you can face if you're a small and mid-sized enterprise. Cool. And, and maybe we'll poke into a couple of these, Yvonne. So I appreciate you teaming yeah, some sure. of this up. Yeah, I, I think most of the audience hopefully will be familiar, and this will be a good reminder that you know, AI is not IT, and that we are talking about kind of a, a probabilistic system we're trying to put together. We don't know. This is an R&D project on some level. I mean, that's that's really what, what AI boils down to when we come to developing new solutions. So what you're saying is, hey, if you're a small and mid-sized firm, you don't have unlimited R&D budget. You, know, you really do need to consider that you don't necessarily know how long this will take to develop. There are going to be some real AI maturity factors, such as data infrastructure or data quality, mm -hmm. or maybe the talent on your team that you may have to put in place to make this project work. And you really need to maybe be aware of those costs, those uncertainties before you step forward, because for a smaller firm, taking a, a big hit on a project might not be a drop in the bucket. It, it might be you know a substantial sort of detrimental impact. Is, is this a little bit of what you're touching on or is there anything else you want to flesh out there? I agree with you. Like, I think these points are really important when you start thinking about uh, AI project, but also sometimes it's the expertise that you have, on, uh, not only the expertise that you have on board, but also the kind of how you're going to define a goal and how you're going to get clear goals for something that you haven't done before. And for starters, uh, as you mentioned, like, AI is usually is not a good fit for IT, although it could be. But if you face this kind of projects without the R&D perspective, you're also going to have some trouble because you have to iterate. You have to do a lot of experimentation yeah. when you're doing an AI project. Right? You're not going to get it right the first time. You're probably not going to write the third time because you have to learn the problem. You have to go back to your problem definitions. That's also another problem for small businesses that I've seen before. You have like you have some kind of pressure either by the market, by your customers. You have to bring AI. You have to use AI. Maybe AI is going to help me because I'm squeezed in here and I have to give value to the customers. But because I don't know exactly how to frame this as a business proposition or how you're going to create value from machine learning, that sometimes you don't have expertise so you don't understand exactly the problem itself so it's gonna hard it's kind of a chicken egg problem right now it gets complicated because now you don't have the leeway to try to find out more in the R&D fashion to see this is the best way to approach the problem or I failed three four or five times but now we're understanding the interplay between the technical problems the data problems and the business problems that I'm trying to solve because in the end AI machine learning there are tools to solve a problem and if you're a business, you're trying to solve business problems. So if you don't have this laser focus of what kind of problems you're going to solve, how are we going to get value out of this machine learning tool they're creating? If the tool is expensive from the beginning and you don't know exactly how to use it or how the best way to get value out of it, you're usually going to have a hard time to get the AI project right. So that, 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 that's a kind of interplay that I've seen folding before, specifically for mid-sized and small enterprises. Yeah, and it, there's there's a lot to dive into here. I mean, we uh, well, number one, hardly any any theme is scolded more frequently on this podcast than doing AI for its own sake. 
hey, where yeah. can we where can we use AI around here is a, a very scold worthy topic on this show and, and one that we've uh, uh, we've spoken ill of on many occasions. One of the, the topics you're talking about is what we sort of refer to as uh, executive AI fluency. That is to say, do the people in charge here understand what this tech can do? Do they have an understanding of the representative use cases? Do they have an understanding of what kinds of data or talent requirements these projects might take or or how to apply AI to a business problem, not as magic, not as sprinkled dust, not as I think this is possible, but practically what it would take to make it work. It mm-hmm. seems like when those skills are lacking, the likelihood of us picking a wasteful project goes up astronomically. When you think about how small firms can avoid that, you know, what are some of the ways they can steer clear of some of those, you know, you talked about kind of project framing mistakes, which, you know, any of us with experience in the AI space, we've just seen so many of those. How do people avoid that kind of an error? Yeah. And well, one thing, just going a little bit about the magic dust, that's a phrase that I actually use. Oh, good. Uh, okay. Quite a while. <laughs> nice. Because, well, it, it, that's the thing. Like AI got big real quick. Uh, well, and we've been doing AI for, I don't know, for a really long time. Right. In different ways, connected to the business in different ways. So there's a long history there. But for the past 10 years, the hype got so big that if you're not doing AI, some people think you're doing something wrong. Yeah. And that could be further from the truth. Like I usually talk to customers saying, the first thing that I want to understand with you is that if you really need AI, if you really need machine learning, because sometimes you're going to solve your problem without using machine learning, it's going to get cheaper or it's going to get faster the results that you need. So understanding that and walking with the customer. I think that starting answering your question, but walking with the customer to clearly understand the problem as a business problem and seeing what are going to accomplish if you actually need machine learning or data science to solve this is the first step, right? The second one is, okay, I understood the problem, but now you have to have support, right? Because one thing that I've seen is also is someone heard that machine learning is great or someone is being pressed, you have to do machine learning because everyone else is doing it. But when you start doing it, you don't have the full stakeholder buy-in or the, the full stakeholder support for this initiative. And as I said before, this can be expensive or this can be costly in the sense of manpower or maybe you're going to have to hire someone or hire a company to do that. So without the stakeholder buy-in to support uh, your decisions and to understand that everything is framed right, you clearly understand the business problem and the tools you're going to use to solve this problem, you're already like not in a good start. So I think the first thing you have to have clear, do you have a stakeholder buy-in? And to have this, you have to have well-defined goals. And actually, I think that's even more uh, more important. You have to have your goals well-defined and you have to keep a lot of time understanding and polishing if your goals are aligned, if your goals align with your company, align with the returns you expect from this project. Right. This is the second thing that's really important for me to, to have clear. If you have clear goals, if you have stakeholder buy-in, then you start moving to the right skills, see if you can fulfill these objectives. Right. And that can veer into knowing if you have the skills in-house, if you have to hire the skills, or if you have to hire a third party, either consultancy or other kinds of companies, uh, team extension companies, to help you, guide you into this project. Right. One, one thing that I, I try to always approach my customers is to, I'm going to help you not only with the project, but for you to understand what the project entails, yeah. right? what are the risks, what are the benefits. So it's kind of a, a learning experience for me to learn their businesses, learn their problems, and also sometimes for them, if I can help them, to learn how can we do machine learning, how can I approach AI project that can actually help you. 
my approach usually starts from there. And I think, to be honest, it's going to have to stay starting from there for quite some time. I mean, the the companies, even the vendor companies, so you guys are more of an open-ended services firm. You work on a lot of different kinds of projects, and obviously you've been involved in AI for quite some time. Even the more limited firms that just do payment fraud or they just do some niche compliance process and investment banking, even they have to do these kind of what is AI? How do we integrate this? What are realistic goals we can set? Even they have to do these education sessions. They have to do what we call catalyzing. So kind of bringing that executive education up to the next level, bringing the connection of AI to strategic goals, bringing a realistic understanding of what AI is. That's like that white glove element is baked into even a vendor's job, never mind a service provider. I suspect Almost every project you've been involved in, and and probably everyone you'll be involved in for the next five years, will involve some element of that high-touch strategy. It seems like that's kind of inevitable. Well, yes, but there's always exchange, right? As a service provider, Byton is a company that tries to provide engineering services, provide AI services, but also learn with the customers. Right. And that's that's an exchange that's really important because I don't assume that I know everything from finance to mining to healthcare. There is always a learning component. And you have to understand that when you go into a project, you have a set of tools, right? You have a set of experiences, but you're trying to help people to solve a problem. And uh, uh, another side of this is that uh, one approach that I, I really like to do is that AI doesn't exist on itself. Right. Yeah, we, we usually yeah. talk about AI projects, we usually talk about data science projects, but in the end, you have to implement this somehow and you have to integrate this into the customer's platform or even if you're creating a product, you have to know how this is going to work in the end. Because if you're just creating a bunch of really pretty Jupyter notebooks with data dumps, yeah, maybe you have a really good model, maybe the model works with the data that you have, but is that going to work in the real world? And if it is, how are we going to measure it, right? How are we yeah, going to know yeah. if that's working or not? So, so bring it, bringing out this something that Dykeman has been doing for 16 years now, the, the software engineering, the core software engineering perspective for AI, something that we really try to do. And, and that's something that we also have to work with the customers because they usually think AI and the rest of the software world are kind of separate. Yeah. As we're going to do something that's just magical, it's going to give you results without using any kind of resources. And the truth is, you have to work from the ground up sometimes on the data platforms. You have to have the right data. You have to get the data into the models. You have to get build your data pipelines, right? So this also this perspective of we're going to bring in the best practices for software engineering in with the uh, AI project, is sometimes people, they get a little bit surprised when they start talking about that. But after you show them, this is why you think this. This is why you need to bring software engineering uh, practice. This is why you have to think about DevOps when you're doing AI. It's something that start clicking with them. And then they start seeing more the broad picture of this is not in isolation. This is not like that. That's why I, I like to joke about the magic dust thing, right? <laughs> this is not completely separate. That's not just magic dust. I'm going to sprinkle over the product and now it's data enabled and you have machine learning. No, it's something that you have to work and you have to build inside a product in a way that's sustainable, in a way that you can measure if you're having success or not and is integrated with the rest of the product, right? It's something that you have to get together. Yeah, and and obviously those are varied skill sets, and and as a you know a services firm, you guys can kind of stretch across those different domains. And it, everybody who I know who's built 
traditional IT products versus you know software that that has AI baked into it that a user is going to use has said that those are different but deeply interconnected skill sets. And what you're saying is, hey, we need to be mindful of that as we go into these projects. Talking about going into these projects, Yvonne, just wary of where we are on time, but really wanted to get into this second question. I know my plan here was to talk to you about the phases of kind of the life cycle and where risk must be managed. Because, you know, an AI project or, you know, an, an IT project that involves AI, I know has various and sundry phases. How, how do you like to think about where risk fits into that life cycle? And maybe you could describe the life cycle for us a bit. Given a life cycle for a data science project, it's a little bit complicated because there are different kinds of projects that are called data science projects, right? But trying to, 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 to make things a little bit simpler, uh, let's try to use the crisp DN flow, right, of business understanding, data understanding, data preparation, model creation, evaluation, then production, right? That, that's a really simplified way to think about a data science project. And specifically because I talked before, you have to think about all the other parts of a product, of product management, uh, of how we're going to design a product that inc uh, includes data. But let's use the CRISPR-Cas because I think that's something that's already like established and, and people at least understand when we're talking about this, right? So again, if you go into a project, I already talked a little bit about stakeholder buy-in and poorly defined goals, like you have to have good goals. So the first phase you have to manage risk is in the business understanding phase of the, of the CRISP-DM cycle, right? So if you manage your risk there, if you get everyone on board, if you have your goals well-defined, if you have goals aligned on different areas and you have the, the product to aligned, then you have some risk with the data itself, right? First, you have to know what kind of data you have if you have data and how you can collect data. And also, if you can use the data that you have, that's something that's coming more prominent and I think it's really important, you have to have a, a clear view of the privacy implications of the data you have. You have to have a clear understanding if the data you're collected for one purpose can be used for what kind of products that you're thinking, right? You have to have consent. So it's not only like you can collect whatever data you want. You have to be clear of the data you're collecting has a purpose and it was collected with the consent and if you can use that data, right? And then there's issues with the data itself then. Uh, for example, maybe you have the right data, but not enough of it. Maybe you think you have data, but that's something that I, I've seen too. Uh, maybe you have a lot of data, but you don't know what that data means because you don't have metadata. You don't have the business understanding of the data itself. So that's another risk. Sometimes clients would come in and say, see, I have this huge pile of data in several databases, but that was collected a long time ago. They're still being collected, but I'm not sure what that data means. So you don't have the right data, right? That, that can also give you a complicated job of trying to untangle this. And sometimes it happens, you cannot even use the data because you're not sure about the data, right? I have a data that I like to say that data without metadata is not data at all because it's, it's even worse to have data that you're not sure about than not having data because now you can think of how you're going to collect this data. Okay, so let's say now you, you have everyone on board, everything is clear, you have the, the, the goal set, now you have the data, the data, it's okay. Right. There's always a risk of creating the models themselves. That's something that usually when you read articles, they, they usually focus on the, the different ways you can, you can create machine learning models. But I would say that this field is getting more mature and people are getting better ways to create the models themselves, better practices of how we can create your models, better tools, 
different libraries that you can use to try to create the models and keep this in a way that you can see what it's doing. Right, so going to the CRISP DM, and, and of course, there's always interaction between creating the model, going back to the data, going back to the business understanding, having a clear picture. Yes, I cannot do this model, but I can do a different model with the data, would that align with the goals that we have? So this interplay that is common, but this risk is a little bit more commonplace uh, in machine learning projects, right? You, you know you're gonna have to iterate the models. You know you're probably gonna have to either collect more data or transfer your data to get different features. Right. But the one thing that is important after you got a few models is knowing what you should measure. Right? Are you measuring the right things? Are the measurements that you're taking out of your models actually going the direction of the goals that you set? Again, knowing why you should measure and keep measuring is something that's really important. Otherwise, you can create one of the best models in the world that just doesn't solve the problem that you have. Right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. having the measurements, it, it's really important. So that's another risk that, that you should keep in mind on. And, and I think like going full circle, let's say that we did everything right so far. We evaluated our models. Our model looks good. It looks in the direction that you want to do. Now you have to move. The models are created usually more than like in a prototype sense because you're experimenting, as you said before in the beginning, you're experimenting a lot with the models, with the data. Now you have to move this into production. And that's something that I was talking before about software engineering, right? Sometimes you have a bunch of models that work okay inside a Jupyter notebook, they have great results, but now you have to productize that. And you have to transform this code that's sometimes not as common for a software engineer to understand what's going on in there because there's a probabilistic differences. There are a few things that are not just common and you have to get this into production in front of API or inside a product. So that's also a risk that you have to manage. And that's something that you should do over the entire product, right? The product cycle. You have to keep an eye on how things are going to move to production. You have to use best practices for software development. You have to keep the, the software development angle in the loop when you're thinking about the rest of the steps of your data science project. So uh, I think that covers the CRISPM cycle. Yeah. Right. Uh, as I said in the beginning, of course, there are several other different kinds of risks that we can go into. Uh, this is a simplified project thinking about uh, machine learning or things that's different ways that, that we can go into. But I think that that's one way to see the problem, thinking about the life cycle, how to manage the risk in different points. Now, I'm familiar with CRISPDM, but can you just tune in the folks who are listening in who are not familiar with that framework, um, where they can learn more, what it what it is? Yeah, sure thing. CRISPM uh, is uh, a framework created, I think, in the 70s, maybe the 80s. I'm not sure right now, but it, it's, it's a little bit older. And it's a way more to use for data mining, like to understand the process of getting the data out, uh, getting the data in, processing the data, understanding this in a pattern, and then getting some results in the end. Usually it's composed by the, the business understanding. That will be a first box that you start a CRISPM project or at least uh, using that as a reference. Then you move to data understanding because you have to understand the data to see if you can satisfy your business constraints. Then you have data preparation, where you're gonna transform this data, clean up the data, put it ready for you to start doing the modeling. That'll be the next step. And that's where you're creating machine learning models. Uh, that's where you can devise ways to do prediction or do recommendation or other approaches. Then you have the next step that will be evaluation 
where we're going to evaluate all the models that you created to see which ones satisfy the business problem. And then afterwards, you move that into production. So it, it's kind of a cycle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, it's a cycle that you go through because after you got to the, the, to the final phase into production, usually you can restart the cycle and you can go back and forth because sometimes you're creating a model, you face a problem or you face a, a constraint that either you have to go back to data preparation to change the features that you're using for the model, or maybe you have to go back to even to the business understanding because, yeah, I cannot create a model that's going to be efficient in, in the sense of the data that I have and the business problems that I have. To, to be completely honest, the, the Wikipedia page for CRISPR-DM is a pretty good start. Oh, yeah, it's great. Point, it's great. Right? So uh, I, I'm quite fond of using the Wikipedia page to start, but there's references that you can start from there. You can even go back to the original reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for those of you who are tuned in, it just cross-industry standard process for data mining, crisp DM, oh, just, just the way it you. sounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is for the, some of you who are listening in right now are familiar. You've been to emerge.com slash report. Some of you have already bought the AI deployment roadmap. We, we reference crisp DM pretty pretty heavily um, in that actual report created by IBM originally. And obviously, Yvonne, you have a lot more experience doing the hands-on data work with it. So I was happy to have you actually working from a framework that I, I could already see in my head. And for those of you listening in who can't, just check out CRISPDM. It's a, a, a nice framework for thinking. And speaking of frameworks of thinking, uh, Yvonne, I know that a question that I wanted to kind of close things out with is going through the machine learning canvas and how companies can use it to assess their own risk. I know you guys have your own frameworks and ways of thinking in terms of ML projects. Are, are there any lessons there that maybe we can close out on that, that we can make things kind of click for the listeners? Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. As I said, having the right tools to, to approach a project can help you a lot. Like only having the tools is not going to help you much. You have to know how to use them. But knowing that you can use tools, you have the right tools to use it, it it's, uh, it's a good to know. And the machine learning canvas is something that I came across a few years ago. And I've been using it both internally and externally with a few customers, and it helps a lot because, again, going back to the point that we said before, sometimes you have to explain to your customers a little bit more, right? You have to, to help them learn a little bit more how the process goes to create this. And usually, if you're talking about more like high-level business folks, they're more used to the business canvas or the lean canvas. So they, they, know, they already understand a little bit the idea of going through a canvas that's a tool that usually limited in space, so you have to be concise. And they have boxes with the roles of the things that you have to walk through to coming from an idea that you have, the constraints that you have to follow, right? The opportunities that you have, the competitors that you may have, and go through this exercise of going through the canvas and getting a clearer picture of the problem you're trying to frame and solve. The machine learning canvas is a tool that can be used exactly like that, right? It helps you to frame the problem in a constrained setting where you can focus on each of the boxes that you have. I think there are nine boxes there. And then each box you have to move from one to another one so you have a clear picture of the problem you're trying to solve. And that's like, we use machine learning canvas inside Dyton as a tool for this, like when you're starting a project, we try to use the canvas to see if the, right, we have a good picture of the problem. But a different way that we use a Dyton was to use as a communication tool. Hmm. Right. We had a case and that was published in an article that got an award by IEEE of the best paper award for experience reports, industry experience reports in 2000, oh my God, 2019 conference in Montreal. And 
uh, we explained in the article about how I used that tool not only to try to get the problem, right, write down the problem, but actually use it as a communication tool. We had two teams, like the data science team was located uh, in Brazil, and we have a team that was located in the U.S. for the customer they are doing development, right? And we noticed that after a few first interactions between the two teams, we're not getting the right message. If you were doing good communication, even if you were doing like uh, regular calls, we're talking a lot. When they saw the code, we were trying to fit, uh, fit the code inside the platform that they had. Things are not just clicking, right? And we used machine learning canvas to frame the problem to see, see, this is the idea that we're having, and this is their constraints, and this is their approaches that we can do. Let's work together on this to try to uh, lower this risk of working for some time and then coming to a model and then having even more time. Okay, this is not well integrated, this is not gonna work, right? So that's why we use Machine Learning Canvas as a communication tool to help us to, yeah, see, this is something that we can work together, fill the boxes, and see if we're on the same message, see if we're communicating the same things, uh, if, if we understand each other. And it worked pretty well. We got this out, we got the project out of this customer, and now we're using on different cases uh, internally to, to get this, this picture and moving on as a communication tool to get the customers on board so they can see, okay, th this is the value proposition, right? This is the data sources that we need. This is how we're going to evaluate offline the model that we're doing. So this is the predictions I'm going to make, right? So, so, so getting the clear picture of which one of these boxes help us immensely communicating the message for a machine learning project and reducing the risk of having a lot of work done for the wrong goal, for example, or having a lot of work done without having the, the proper communication in place to have a successful project. Cool. Yeah. And I think, again, because so many of these processes are new for executive teams, it's useful to have a way of thinking through it that actually works well. And, and for those of you who are listening in, if you get this interview through our newsletter, we're going to be linking to the, the ML Canvas so that you can learn more about that particular resource. Um, Yvonne, is that is that IEEE paper public or is that buried in one of their publications somewhere? Well, it's not public domain. You have to have a subscription for the okay. magazine. To, to IEEE, okay. Yeah. Got it. Uh, so uh, I'm sorry about that. But no, no, that's, that's, uh, that's all good. Yeah, we're going to be linking to, to some of your resources in the newsletter anyway, so people can still get access to it. But it sounds like that's been a helpful tool for you thus far and maybe something people who are listening could learn from. Definitely, definitely. And if people like start working with us, we can definitely try to use this as a, a helper tool to, to steer the path and to see if the, the, the communication is right, to see if we're getting to the point or we have a good goals, we have the buy-in, and we understand the data that we need to move forward. Cool. Um, well, hopefully between that resource, which you guys will see through the newsletter and, and also the insights that we've brought to bear here today in this interview, Yvonne, hopefully people are a little bit better prepared to reduce some of the risks of these AI projects and approach them with a little bit more of a level head and a higher likelihood of ROI. So Yvonne, I want to thank you big time for being able to join us here on the podcast. Thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure being here. It was really interesting to talk about these problems that we face every day and trying to help people to understand the problems, understand the risks, and moving on to a successful project is something that I'm really keen on. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. We're going to be 
kicking off on Tuesday as we do every single Tuesday with another AI use case episode. So stay tuned for next week. And if you haven't already, we kicked out our monthly episode of the AI and Financial Services podcast. You can go search for AI in Financial Services on Apple Podcasts, which used to be called iTunes, kind of confusing, uh, or SoundCloud or Spotify. Just search AI in Financial Services. It's our newer podcast. It's a smaller podcast, but the use cases in financial services are rather cutting edge and I think really do apply to almost any sector. Lots of interesting use cases about NLP. You know, we talked about reducing risk in today's episode. Obviously, there's a lot of that to consider in the financial services space. So if you're interested in more use cases and you want to understand in depth how AI is impacting finance, uh, banking, insurance, wealth management, etc., and how some of those use cases could apply to your industry, go ahead on Apple Podcasts and search for AI in financial services. Really does mean a lot to hear from folks who've listened to both shows. I spoke with a listener over the course of this past week who listens to us now as they walk their dog because they no longer have a commute and they're a fan of both podcasts. I hope to make you a fan of both of them as well. So check out the other show that's AI in Financial Services. And otherwise, you'll catch me right back here on the AI in Business podcast next Tuesday. I appreciate having you with us and I'll talk to you soon.